Welcome to Karura's weekly podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to journey with us. We hope your spiritual life will be transformed as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor Wallace. Becoming disciples rooted and fruitful. That is what we are looking at this year. Pastor Ngare began for us by giving us that picture of from John chapter 15 from verse 1 going forward of a branch and Jesus saying I am the vine and you are the branches a very practical picture you can imagine a branch that is cut off from the vine cannot be fruitful and today we are looking at another model and this one is another one that Jesus uses and that is of a child and a father he of course compares that to those who are not children and to those who don't know God, and then to those who know God and are God's children, and how that connection makes one fruitful or not fruitful. Uh, we are going to have our Bible reading from the book of Matthew, from chapter 6, and we'll, we'll start from verse 5, and we'll go all the way to verse 9. And I'll request us if we could stand. I want us to read together. If you don't mind just reading, even uh, through your masks, that we may put the word of the Lord in our hearts. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we begin with verse 5. Let's go together. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then we go to verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This then is how you are to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please take your seats. I want to begin with an illustration of exactly the basis of uh, what we are going to be, what I'm going to be speaking on today. And uh, I would like to ask Pastor Wallace, could you please uh, give me some water? Get me some water, please. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Pastor Wallace. This, this guy is really obedient, isn't he? Uh, could I also please have your phone? Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, can I keep it? No. Uh, why? Because of my MPSA balance. And uh, the, the details of that form. Okay. Yes. Could you then just give me cash that you have, all the cash you have for keeps? See you later. <laughs> why? <laughs> I budgeted for my money. Oh, thank you. Okay. Asante Zana. You see, when you, whenever you approach anyone, for an interaction, be it on the streets, in the office, even in schools, whether you know it or not, you make an implicit assumption about the basis on which you are approaching that particular person. And the basis determines the level and the depth of exchange or interaction you can have with that person. And lawyers, I think, like to call it the locker standing, whether you have a right to stand before this or to be heard before this court. What, is, what, is, what right do you have? So, for example, on the, on the streets of Ruaka here, 
you can approach a stranger and if you don't know where village market is and ask them where is village market and if they know where village market they will actually show you where it is and you can follow and find out where village market is that is common humanity the days before uh, mobile phones we would ask people about the time you'd go to somebody and ask what time is it and somebody would actually tell you it is so and so so you could approach somebody you could interact with some somebody at that level but there is a sense in which you can just not go to the streets of Nairobi and ask, ask anyone, a stranger that you don't know and ask them, could I have your handbag or could I have your wallet? They will look at you and think, this one is mad because we don't have a basis for such an exchange or even for such an interaction. In the case that I have just had with Pastor Wallace, when I asked him for water, there was a, there was a basis in which to, uh, on which he brought for me the water. One is the service host and the water was there and we are colleagues and so he brought me that particular water but now when we moved to the second request which was the phone he gave it to me hoping that I just wanted to look at it hopefully but there was no basis for me now to have it forever because like he said it has his details his personal details that I have no right to I have no basis to interact with him at that level the third request was a no-no for money because he has budgeted for his money and I have no basis for to ask for his money uh, at this particular time but if my wife if I had asked my wife to give me her wallet or if she asked me to give her my wallet she would actually give me because we have a basis we, we, we make the same budget our money comes from the same pocket and everything I mean from the same account and everything whether I'm, her money is mine and my money is hers so she would give me because we have a deeper basis for a deeper exchange and a deeper interaction at that level which I do not have with Pastor Wallace. You know, prayer is a very universal thing. We're always seeking to interact and to exchange with God in many ways. Almost everybody prays, whether they are believers or not, at one point or another. But when Jesus' disciples looked at him, they realized this man's prayer is different. They had seen many people pray. They had prayed. Even they themselves had prayed. But Jesus' prayer was different. And so they asked him, teach us how to pray. And Jesus begins by telling them how not to pray or how not to live and then as a result not how to pray and he basically tells them there are two bases wherever you come from whatever religion you come from whatever your background there are two bases for approaching God and only one base is meaningful and it is what makes then your prayer fruitful and your life fruitful he seems to indicate, if I look at the summary of the paradigms, one is a business kind of relationship. The other one is a, a child-father relationship. There is the one that he calls a hypocrite or a pagan, how they relate to God. And there's the one who he calls a father-child relationship. One is impersonal, the other one is personal. This one is business-like, the other one is family. The other one is contractual, the other one is based on trust. The other one has his rights, the other one is privilege. One is time-bound. And the other one is a lifetime engagement. Let me look at each one of them in detail. The first one about the impersonal relationship. This is the people he says are hypocrites. They have an impersonal relationship with God. Because for them, God is removed and remote. The basis of their transaction or exchange is very shallow. Because they don't know this God. He's very far away. In fact, he either created the whole world 
set it going and then he went back to wherever he came from or he's simply a life force somewhere up there who may watch how people are doing the bad they are doing and the good they are doing and to see whether he'll punish them or not but he's not close enough for a relationship or for an exchange and so their basis of exchange tends to be very shallow but for the believer god is both great and in heaven but at the same time he is emmanuel he is with us he is personal and i think that is why in matthew chapter 6 verse 6 the one we just read jesus says but speaking to believers he says but when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen then your father who sees what is done in in secret he will reward you this god is so close he is so real he is with us he is personal so personal that when you go to that office and close that door or somebody comes to your office and they want to bribe you you know that god is there and those that was the that was the, the lifestyle of people like joseph of old in the in the old testament so much so that when potiphar's wife wanted to engage him into a sexual relationship joseph said i cannot do this and dishonor my god he knew that god was not just a god in israel a territorial god god was right there in that bedroom with him and he was walking with him the challenge is always and this is a key indicator of whether you're rooted and understand this personal god or not or whether god is so impersonal to you is whether you walk consciously aware of the fact that this god is with you and that you can actually have a private devotional life a private prayer life and a private life of worship because this god is always there with you that is what joseph had so that he was in a dungeon but he was walking knowing that i've been falsely accused and i'm in this jail i'm in this dungeon but there is a god who is with me over here right now of course jesus is not saying that it is it, we don't have to pray in public in fact if you look at this prayer he says our father meaning that we have to have corporate prayer as the body of jesus christ in fact there is a sense in you, in which if you don't have people you're praying with people you're sharing deeply with it becomes very difficult even to grow at that particular individual level but what jesus is saying here is when you cultivate the lifestyle of having private and prayer life and walking with god is that when you go into corporate prayer that corporate prayer becomes more meaningful because you people you're bringing people together who've been interacting with god at various levels and they begin to exchange what what they are what kind of information and relationship they're having with god then you don't have people going into a prayer meeting to look how people are dressed how their fashion is what kind of shoes they are wearing but you have a people who are coming together to worship as a result of their private devotion to god it's very much similar to what we do here um um becoming christ like disciples who are engaging the world you come from here you go out there you're working with the lord you're engaging the world you're ministering and then when we come together it is to share the experiences we have it's to encourage one another when you meet in your clgs to encourage one another coming from the depth of your private devotional life and so a key indicator 
of the fact that you are rooted and fruitful and you're growing is how your private prayer life is. And if you do not have a private prayer life, most likely God is not personal to you. Now, it's very difficult for pagans to live like Christians, but it is often very easy for believers to begin to behave like pagans. Where you forget about this personal God, Emmanuel, God with us. The second thing that you notice about these particular people is that there's a business and a family that comes out very clearly. You see, a pagan is one who prayer is a consumer tool. It, 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 it is about self-acclamation. It's, it's self-acclamation is that core. It's about themselves. Whether that includes using God or people to meet their personal goal is neither here nor there. That is why Jesus in verse 5 of chapter 6 that we read, he says, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So it is about me being seen by others. It, what, what basically they are saying is, I have got my goals. I want to be happy I want to be successful. I want to be comfortable. And so you come to God and say, okay, what do I have to do to be happy, to be successful, to be comfortable? Do I have to come to church? I will come. How many times? Do I have to live like this or like that? Yes, I will live like that as long as I achieve my goals. Do I have to give? Yes, I'll give. How much? Do I have to pray? How often? Tell me, they say to God. It's like, I have things I want to get done and I will do what you want me to do in order to get my goals done. It is primarily about what I want and not what God wants. And so they pray primarily when they are in need. There is no prayer as a desire to know God, as a desire to serve God, as a conversation and a relationship with God. Because they only pray when their ultimate concern, their ultimate treasure, or their ultimate thing that they eventually want is really at stake. And so if it is a house they want, they will do everything it gets to get the house. And once they have gotten it, then God can move on the side. Because God is a means to achieving what they want. What they want and the ultimate treasure is not God, but it is things and other things and functions and so on and so forth. And so what is the most important thing that is for you when you go into prayer, when you live your Christian life? For the believer, prayer is a child-father relationship. It is a response to who God is and who we are to Him. It's about being. In fact, Jesus was the first person to call God father and the people who had him that was so outrageous how can you call God father because when you use that word father it means you are saying you are God's heir you see if you if you're working for a man or, or as an employee you work and then he gives you wages but when you are his son or his daughters what that man has or that woman has is yours you're a heir and not just an employee. And so by calling God Father, Jesus was saying, I am heir to God. 
The people around must have been asking what makes you think that you are so perfect, that you are so righteous, that you are so great, that you are so holy. What gives you the right to assume that kind of intimacy with God? But you see, Jesus deserved to be called, to call God Father because he is God the Son who took on the nature of man, being fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life that we should have lived, but of course did not live. And then he died the death that we should have died because of our sin. And he took our place and he paid the penalty for our sin. And so when we accept his sacrifice for us, he gives us the right to become the children of God. He gives us the very same legal standing with God the Father that he has with him. And with all the familiarity and with all the intimacy. And that is what then causes us to be fruitful in prayer. And not because of ourselves. And so Jesus says, if you really want to have a basis, and if you really have a basis, you have to start your prayers by our Father. This is not a mantra. It doesn't mean when you say our Father, he's your Father. I go on the streets of Nairobi and some people call me daddy or father or papa or whatever it is, but I don't, I don't know them. And we don't relate at that level. They are just saying a word. So it doesn't mean that when you say our father and you don't have that standing because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, you've never accepted him. It doesn't mean that your prayer will be effective. It doesn't mean that you have a basis. In fact, Jesus looks at these people and he says, they are babbling. They are thinking they will get these results, but they are not getting at all. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus himself praying to God the Father. He says, Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He uses the word Abba. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, all the way to 17, Paul says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins in our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we also share in his suffering. The spirit of the Lord comes into us and he brings us to a level where we begin to appreciate our sonship and our daughtership in Christ and in God. Abba is an Aramaic word which simply means dada. It is used by infants mainly when they are just beginning to learn to speak. It is, it is a, a term that refers to being fond. You know, it's the first words that come up. It's instinctive. And Paul is saying that when, when we receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us and he begins to help us to learn to appreciate our status in God. We call him Dada or Dada. The Holy Spirit himself helps us to grasp our sonship, to grow in God both in good times and in bad times. It is a primo and an endearing word that signifies closeness and care and love. I always remember many years ago, I was on, a, I was on some Bible, uh, some, some, some study leave 
and my daughter was about between she was about a year or so and so i was reading at home and i know she would come and knock on my door and all she could say was dada and then she stretches her arms and i would lift her up and she would just embrace my neck look at my face and feel she she didn't even know about toys and if she had any toys she didn't know where they come from or they came from because dada is a word that you call not because you want things but just you want that person you just want to be with that person it is an endearing word that god uses and the holy spirit comes and call, brings us to that level where we are to refer to god in that way imagine you see a man walking with his son along the streets and then the man reaches a certain stage he lifts the son up and then he embraces the son is the son still the son has he lost his legal status because he's been lifted up no he is got still his status as the son but the lifting up and the embracing it increases the experience of that status and that is what the holy spirit does to us he lifts us up and helps us to increase the experience that we have with our father and when so we go to our father we are going to him just as dad not because of the toys but just because of the relationship father child relationship but let me add something very quickly especially for those of you who have father wounds for those of you or your father you never met him he just disappeared or a father who has abused you and so when somebody tells you that god is father you don't relate with it in fact you hate fathers or you hate men what what jesus tells us to pray is our father in heaven that's a very significant statement because the 10 commandment says that we should never make an idol of god not even an image not even an imagination this is a father that neither you nor i can imagine he is great he created all things his love is real and so when he calls you to relate with him he's calling you to relate with him at another level as a father the other thing he tells us about our relationship with him is you know earthly fathers we are we're just fallen we're evil in fact jesus speaking to the people he tells them if you who are evil if your son asks you for bread will you give him a snake he is talking to us and comparing us to god and saying this god is not he doesn't have any sense of evil in him but the second thing about this he does not have any limitation our father in heaven he created all things he is in heaven he sees a vision of many years to come he lives in eternity he owns everything when my daughter comes to me and asks me for something i may want to give her but i'm limited i don't have the resources but when we go to god we are going to one who has all the resources our father in heaven we not only have a base but we have a great god that we can go to with confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done for us how do you know other indicators that you are either on the right track or on the wrong on the wrong track a key indicator is how you react when god does not answer prayers 
the way you wanted him to answer. Pagans or hypocrites usually assume that they are in a contract with God. They assume they are in a contract and the reason God says they are in a pagan relationship with him because when when you're in a relationship where a pagan is in a relationship with a God, that God is unreal. That God is not life. He's a he's a piece of wood or something like that. And so when people get into God with that sense of this God is not real and can be manipulated, he's like an ATM or something like that, they get frustrated. And so they assume that they are in this contract with God that if I do my part then God should do his part it's a conditional relationship And so when God does not answer their prayers the way they want it answered especially if they assume that they have done their part what it does is it leads to anger And one of the key indicators that you may want to check yourself whether you are a Christian and reverting back to paganism or whether you've never known the Lord is to check the level of your anger in your life. The other part is when they fail. When they fail to meet what they assume God wants them to do, they feel guilty. They become anxious. they worry and so they say god will not answer my prayers because i have not met the standards that i should have met which they have put to themselves and so you will see and see they'll disappear from fellowship because they feel this guilt that even when god has forgiven them even when the people around them have forgiven them they never forgive themselves because they believe that they have a role to play and they have failed in that role and so they have no right even for common grace to work in their lives And so it's always important to check as we think about disciples rooted and fruitful how much anxiety is dwelling into your life on a daily basis how much worry are you having to deal with and how much guilt are you carrying do you appreciate the fact that God himself has died for you that he's forgiven you pagans don't understand that and so they want to earn their way to God And when they feel they have earned their way and God does not answer, they become very angry. And that is why you have all these pandambegu people who say I gave this and I was expecting this. God is just a system where you put this and he gives you this and they get very disappointed and very angry and they, they even get angry with the church because they did not understand the God they are dealing with. But for a believer, even when God does not answer the way you and I want, we trust God in all his actions irrespective of the circumstances. Because I know many of you here who have children. Last month, many of your children would have liked to eat sweet things and finish all your money, but you knew you have to pay school fees this month. And you didn't give them everything they wanted because you had a bigger picture. And if only that child knew what you know, then they would have been quiet and they would have trusted you. It's the same thing here. If only we knew what God knows, then we can just trust him. because he knows why he is delaying that prayer he knows why he is doing or allowed what has happened because he is god the other place where you and i need to check our indicators is when our prayers are answered and there is success for pagans or for hypocrites they have been calling this attention to themselves and they've been asking people even as they pray out loud for people to hear and to show that they are righteous When God answers their prayer, they become even more proud. 
And you see, pride has nothing to do with God. It's all about myself. And what begins to build when there is success or when God has answered a prayer or something has happened in their lives is they begin to become proud and entitled. And that is always an indicator for us to check as believers. Are we becoming proud in any way in our lifestyle and in our, in our, in our, in our lives? And are we becoming entitled to the things that God has given to us? Because believers, all answered prayers are favors. They are received with humility, with praise and with thanksgiving. There is a spirit of wonder, a spirit of praise, a spirit of gratitude. Because they know that they are undeserving of God's mercy and provision. It's a miracle that I'm even a believer. They're not entitled. And you will realize that the pagan will spend a lot of time praying before God. But most of the time it's making petitions and making requests of what they want. But they never praise. They don't have an attitude of gratefulness. And if you see, maybe you're a married man. And you wake up in the morning and you look at your wife and you shout at her and you dismiss her. There's a possibility that you don't appreciate that this woman is a gift from God. And that, that every hour that God has given you that lady, it's a gift. If you have a child, understanding that this child is a gift, it just changes your attitude. But if you're entitled and you feel this woman, I'm entitled to her and I can even beat her up, it just changes your lifestyle. And so believers keep in this state of spirit of wonder on a daily basis. The fact that I woke up in the morning and I can breathe, the fact that I can walk, the fact that I can see and hear, it's amazing. They are time-bound and lifetime. Pagans they engage with God, but they are never sure about the hereafter. Because their life is about performance. They have no assurance what happens after this life. Because it's determined on the basis of performance. But for believers, we say our Father in heaven, he is here with us and he is in heaven. And death is just a transition to that new state of heaven. It's a relationship that will last forever. You may be here today and you're asking, how can I move from a state of being a pagan and unfruitful? So much so that even if I pray very eloquent prayers, even if I pray in public the way I want, God says that is bubbling. There is no result, there is no response because it's a bubble. How can I move from there? So that I can pray our Father. So that I can make requests on the basis of a child of God. See, Jesus does not start the Lord's Prayer with our King. He does not even start it with our Creator or our friend, though He is. He starts with our Father. Because that is the basis. It's the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. When you receive Jesus Christ, you become adopted into the family of God. I've often found this adoption process quite interesting because by virtue of being a pastor there was a particular time where whenever you wanted to adopt you needed to have your pastor sign your forms and I always 
followed these children and I always followed these parents even after they had been adopted and how everything was happened. But the process was what was most interesting. Because you see, the most essential change when you adopt a child is not even a change in the nature or behavior of the child, at least at first. The minute you adopt a child, the essential change is the legal status. It is the legal action. I've seen parents wait for a year and then they sign that form and the legal status changes and that child belongs to that family. It is by fiat. You are now a child of God. You see, adoption is, in most cases, not even the result of a child's effort. It is not, the child is not even aware of what is happening. It is an act of the father. I remember one particular parent who had adopted. And this kid, because they, had, they would go to people's homes and come back, and the kid was so scared that when, they, when the kid has been adopted and is in the home of this family, she will do something bad and she'll be taken back. And this kid was always behaving well. And my, the parents were telling me, just pray for us. Pray for us that this child will misbehave. We really want this child to misbehave. Because they are, they are living such a stiff life that they cannot be themselves. We want to see them to who they are. Because adoption is not about how good or how bad you are. It's about the parent. And that is why John in chapter 1 verse 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or authority to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or husband's will, but of God. Adoption means that you've been given the right, the authority into that family. And that is what God is calling us to today. That we may be disciples who are rooted in him as his children and becoming fruitful because we are his children. Because this child, when he becomes into that family, is regarded with all the commitment and with all the love and with all the acceptance you would give to your natural child. And I think that's why Jesus in Galatians chapter 4 from verse 4 to 6, he says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subjected to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us into his very own, as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slaves, but God's own children. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The God we worship, the creator of all things, allowing us to own everything he owns, giving us the creativity he used to create the whole world, allowing us to be called his own protecting us with all his strength because we are his children and giving us love. That is why in John chapter 17, verse 26, he says, I have made you known to them, Jesus speaking. He says, speaking to the Father, he says, I've, known me, I've, no, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He's saying the very love you have for me as your son have the same love for these people because now they are your children. They have accepted you. God is committed to us. He accepts us as his children. He loves us as his own children. And to, so to a Christian, Christ is not just an example for emulation, but he's a representative for our substitution. 
He lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And when we accept him, we become legally accepted to him. That is why he calls us to prayer to say, Our Father, the love he has for us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. King James says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called his children. The word great here is a Greek word that means padabon, or it means it reads padabon, which means from what country does the love of God come? It is a word that means a Christian is somebody who finds the love of God miraculous. It's off the scale. Which country can such love come from? No parent, no father can give you such love. It's utterly unfathomable. A Christian is one who looks at himself or herself and says, it is a miracle. I am a miracle to be even called a child of God. And so Jesus calls us to be constantly saturated in this miraculous adoption and to rejoice in it and to deal with ourselves and the world from that perspective, from that position and with God continually, completely and relentlessly as the children of God. And so I call those of you who do not know the Lord, I ask Pastor Wallace as he comes up, he'll be leading us and the worship team to please come up, that you may come to know this Lord, that you'll not be like the pagans. Jesus says, don't be like the pagans telling his disciples who think they'll be hurt because of something in them or because of the good they have done because you and I are incapable of doing anything good but rather my prayer is that you'll come to a place where you can say our father and my prayer is that you will not leave this sanctuary if you came not knowing God as our father you will not live in a state of confusion but you leave this place with God as your father.